You're listening to episode 66 of Fearless Rebel Radio. I'm starting this one with a quote. I swear, the day I stopped giving a fuck about how I looked in a bathing suit, it was like a litter of kittens in black leotards had tumbled down from heaven to perform all the single ladies for the sole enjoyment of my thighs and belly. That's a quote from the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, and I have the author Sarah Knight on the show today. This episode is awesome, so I'm so excited for you to listen to it. As always, you can go to summerinanin.com forward slash freebies or just go to thebodyimagecoach.com to get my free 10-day body confidence makeover. All right, let's get started with the show. Hey everybody, I am so excited to be interviewing this woman today. I am talking to Sarah Knight, author of the national best-selling book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, How to Stop Spending Time You Don't Have with People You Don't Like Doing Things You Don't Want to Do. Sarah is a freelance editor and writer who has worked on books that have been optioned for film and television, named Best of the Year lists by major outlets, newspapers, and magazine, including The New York Times. And she does not give a fuck about mustaches, farmer's markets, or CrossFit. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, I am so excited to have you here. Like, I... I, I, I reached out to you as soon as I finished listening to your book on Audible uh, and it because it, it really resonated with me. And as much as I like to think I'm someone who, who has done a pretty good job mastering the art of not giving a fuck, um, it, really, it helped me to kind of almost put a formula to it and see it from a different perspective. So I'm really excited to have you here today and to talk about um, just the concepts in the book and your, your experience with it. Well, that's really great to hear, especially the fact that you listen to the audiobook, which I narrate myself. And I thought, you know, I was spending eight hours in a room, like reading my book aloud. And I was like, is anybody ever going to listen to this? So <laughs> apparently you did. Thank you. I love the audio version. I feel like you're like, I feel because you, your personality comes through and it's so much. So like that I clicked with you. I was like, I love this woman. So I thought it was like, it really brought it to life. It was awesome. great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, tell, tell everyone a little bit about how you came up with the idea for the book. Like, where did this come from? Sure. I mean, it honestly, it literally came to me while I was walking down the street, uh, one day last summer, I had quit my corporate job. I had been, uh, in the New York City book publishing industry for 15 years. I was a senior editor. Uh, and as you said in your intro, you know, I had a lot of bestsellers. I really had a lot of career momentum going on, but I was I was really unhappy. And so I, I quit my job to go freelance because I decided I wanted to work for myself and I wanted to be able to work from places in the world other than New York. Uh, and when I, when I did that, it released a lot of feelings of burden and, um, and, sort of opened up this part of me that was able to be more creative and more of a risk taker, uh, because I wasn't any longer kind of, um, you know, having to operate within this very strict kind of executive world. Uh, and at the same time, I read another little book called the life changing magic of tidying up by Marie Kondo, who's a Japanese decluttering expert. And, um, you know, there was, a lot in her book that resonated with me, but her tone is a little didactic. And 
And I also felt like, you know, I was actually already pretty on top of my physical clutter. But what if I could address the concept of mental decluttering? And I had the idea for the book kind of in that moment. That was a moment of, hey, I could do this. <laughs> like, you know, I went from being an editor thinking, who can I get to write this book? To being a writer thinking, oh, I should write this book. Yeah. So I did. That's awesome. And so like, how did you, how did you kind of come up with the, the formula for, for not giving a fuck? Like what, what, I mean, was it, did you, did you kind of think back to like the way that you had left the corporate world and use that as, as your, um, way for putting it together? Or was it like, did you observe other people? How did you make it? How did you put that together? It was definitely a combination of a lot of things. Uh, if, you know, people who have read the Marie Kondo book will definitely see the way that my book is a parody of hers. And I think it's an, uh, an affectionate parody. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I do kind of take some of what I believe to be her very simplistic, uh, ideas like, you know, it's a two-step process, declutter and then organize. And mine and hers is called the KonMari method, which is a, you know, on, based off of her name. Mine is called the not sorry method and it's two steps. Decide what you don't give a fuck about and stop giving those fucks, uh, <laughs> which on the surface of it sounds really very simplistic. But then I chose to sort of open that up in the the strategies that I outline in the book which involve, you know, really taking stock of all of the things in your life that are demanding your time, energy, and or money. And that's what I define as your fucks. So these are the fucks that you have to give. And, you know, some things are going to take time and energy fucks, and some things are only going to take money fucks. But in any case, you have an overall fuck budget that you can't overdraw because then you will be you will be overcommitted and you will be stressed out and you will be completely broke. Uh, and so I sort of used what I feel like are the concepts that a lot of people can relate to with being anxious or stressed or feeling guilty. Whereas Marie Kondo and her book is coming from the point of view of somebody who's just a militant tidier. And I think some people want to be like more tidy, but they don't really understand her personality. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to kind of access, um, you know, for lack of a better word, sort of real people who don't already have it all, you know, together and who, who can, who could say, oh yeah, if I think about my time the same way I think about dollars in my bank account, sure. I only have so much time to give like, and if I give it all, then I'm down to zero. And I think those are concepts that I tried to draw out over the course of the book to make it really relatable. Um, and to sort of show people that it can be fun and liberating to stop giving a fuck. Yeah, and I love, I love, I mean, just the kind of the simple idea of like joy versus annoy, which I think, I think, I haven't read Marie Kondo's book, but I think that kind of parallels like yeah. her, you know, her, her kind of um, philosophy on it as well. But it's so, I mean, it, it's something that you can look at like, going back and looking at all the, all the kind of fucks that you give, but it's also something that you can just use going forward. Like I just kind of think to myself, I'm like, does this bring me joy or does this annoy? And like getting rid of the things that annoy and just being like, why am I doing that? It's just, it's so liberating. Exactly. And the hope is that again, once you've, once you've discarded the things that annoy you and you've started living your life in this more positive, um, joyful way that, as you said, going forward, you just won't say yes in the first place to the things that bring annoy. Like you'll have cleared those things out and then you will stop inviting them back in. So I think that it only gets, it gets better and better. You know, the more that you practice the life changing magic of not giving a fuck. 
Yeah, I mean, you tie it back to this idea of becoming enlightened. And, you know, I think that's like this elusive state of being that we're all that we all desire and crave, but we, we tend to get stuck in like the treadmill of our everyday life. What does enlightenment mean to you? Like, and, and do you feel like you're enlightened now? I do. And I, and I treat, uh, the, the category of enlightenment in the book. I say that there are three kinds of people who don't give a fuck children, uh, assholes and the enlightened. Yeah. <laughs> the enlightened are the people uh, who have who have started down this path of not giving a fuck in a in an unapologetic um, and and as unselfish as possible way and have not become assholes in the process. And I use the term enlightened uh, in again sort of a satirical way because I think that a lot of self help, uh, a lot of self help books and a lot of self help you know gurus kind of promote this idea of enlightenment, um, whether it is a more or less uh, religious or secular idea, um, whether it actually has to do with, with Buddhism, whether it has to do with, you know, spirituality. And I don't happen to go in for that kind of stuff, but I still think it's a really good way to describe the feeling of being suddenly unburdened and joyous, uh, you know, in this pursuit of not giving a fuck. So, um, I, I feel like enlightenment is a, is a way of being, it's a state of mind and it's a ongoing path. And I definitely think I'm enlightened, but I don't think I've reached peak enlightenment. Um, every day I have situations where I have to remind myself, Hey, that brings you annoy. Don't do it. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hey, it's okay to say no to that thing. And, and the sort of flip side of the enlightenment uh, feeling is what I call the shame, anxiety, guilt spiral. And this is what you have to fight in your own mind before you can say, you know, I want to do this. I don't want to do that. I want to spend time with this person. I don't want to spend time with that person. And you have to fight your way through that spiral before you can actually come out and say what it is you want out of life and what you don't want out of life and then move forward and along along the path of enlightenment. Yeah, I think that I mean that flip side is is where people get stuck because there's so much um like we're we're tied so much to judgments and like obligations and letting those dictate our actions. How did you transition away from from that? I mean, were were you the type were you like a people pleaser before? Were you kind of the one person Ooh, to yes. always say yes and like <laughs> and like, oh my God, this person's not gonna like me? Like how did how did you kind of move to a state where you were okay and you were able to let go of that guilt? Well, I had, you know, a good thirty years of that, uh, of being somebody who always just took on extra work and extra burdens and did things that I didn't really want to do just to please other people and um, and to help people out, which I think is a perfectly, you know, noble way to live. But by the time I was around 31, I just, you know, I started having panic attacks. I mean, I had had this kind of three decades worth of stress and uh, that manifested itself in anxiety. And I just kind of, you know, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And then I was doing all sorts of um, very stressful things at that same time in my life. I had a brand new job. I had planned a wedding. I was getting married. I was buying my first apartment, which in New York City real estate is kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I just, I kind of snapped and I, and I realized that like life was not good. Like I had all these outward things that were trappings of success, 
but they were driving me, you know, slowly insane. And so I really needed to pull back. And some of that was pulling back with um, my family in the in the wedding planning process and just putting my foot down about things and being like, I can't worry about this. You know, the answer is no. And some of it was pulling back, you know, looking for a new job. As at the time I had, um, this was my, my penultimate corporate job uh, over five years ago. And I had to get out of that place because it was causing me so much, uh, so much stress. So I think that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was a gradual realization um, as a result of lots of negative things that were happening to me health-wise <laughs> that I thought, you know what, like, for my own sake, I need to, I need to make some changes. And, and as I said, you know, it really crystallized with the book idea, which was another five or six years later, um, last summer where I said, you know what, like, I think I've done it. And now I think I can explain to other people how to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, I think that one of the hardest things to stop giving a fuck about is other people's opinions. It sure is. (laughs) But once you start, it becomes a lot easier. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, just try it. You know, it's, it's sad. I'm like a drug dealer. I'm like, come on, just try it. Just try it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really it though. Is it like, I, I hate to say it, it's that simple, but it is like, just try it and see that everything will be okay. <laughs> and this is why, you know, I say that people, they're their own worst enemy because you get caught in that anxiety, shame, guilt spiral, and you never even try to say no mm-hmm. because you just assume that it's going to go badly. But if you can, if you practice my not sorry method, which involves being honest and polite, then you will have nothing to be sorry about. You will have not done anything wrong. People will understand. And of course, there's going to be the, you know, occasionally there are going to be people who don't understand, but fuck them. I mean, it's your life. And if you're being honest and polite and you're controlling, you know, I say in the book that it's it's foolish to think that you can control other people's opinions. You know, you can't control whether other people like you. You can only control your own behavior. And if you know you're being a good person and you know you're acting with honesty and politeness, then you can go on your merry way and just stop worrying about it. Yeah, I think that's like, I mean, that's such a big thing is just we, we think we think we can control other people's opinions and we can't. And I think the moment that you can like really understand that and embrace that, like, God, life is so much easier and it, it can make this stuff like just just flow for you, at least for me. I mean, that was so huge for me is to just be like, I can't control what what someone's going to think, like whether somebody thinks I'm nice or attractive or anything like that. Like I can just be the best person that I am and the rest is just going to be the way it's going to be. Yeah. And I mean, this also manifests itself. You know, I've had people on various, you know, radio shows asking me, um, well, don't you think this, this is very selfish and isn't that a bad thing? And I've said, you know, I think that selfish has become a four-letter word in our culture, Uh and it shouldn't be. And the fact is that if I am thinking carefully about where to spend my time, energy, and money, and I'm doing it in a way that doesn't leave me overtaxed and overdrawn and stressed out and overcommitted, then I'm going to be a more pleasant, you know, colleague. I'm going to be a more kind and generous boss. I'm going to be a more um, you know, a more present wife, or, you know, if I were a mother, a mother, um, I'm going to be a better person all around, nicer and more fun and happier to be doing the things I'm doing and not constantly worried about, you know, the next thing on my calendar and not being able to afford, you know, going to that wedding or whatever it is. So I think you do have to be selfish in order to make yourself into the kind of person 
that other people enjoy being around. You know, I think it's all it's all part and parcel of the same goal, which is to be a good person. I'm not advocating being a bad person. Yeah, and I think, I mean, when you're spreading yourself so thin because you're giving all your fucks away, then, I mean, you're not going to be, you're not going to be a good person to the people that you truly care about. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think that there's this idea that, like, you know, standing up for what you want or not falling into the trap of, you know, the kind of North American culture of, like, always being productive and saying yes to everything and having it all together, like, that, um there's something, you know, that, 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 that's like selfish or there's something wrong with you, but that's like, it's so the opposite. I mean, I, I just think that like life is, can be so much more, um, great to live when you've got a bit of expansiveness and you can really just do, do the things you want to do and serve the people you want to serve. I absolutely agree. And it took a while to come to that conclusion. So I think you're, you're ahead of me on that. (laughs) I don't know about that. I mean, it's, it's been a long time coming for me too, but (laughs) I mean, I would love to, to know, and I think this would give people a really good perspective on, on, you know, a little bit more about what, uh, what the book is all about, but what are, what are some of the things that you stopped giving a fuck about that were like life changing for you? Well, uh, the, the biggest thing, I mean, there's, there were little things along the way, you know, and obviously not giving a fuck about what other people think was kind of the precursor that sort of opened my, my mind to the rest of it. And so that's a really big thing, but it also kind of unlocked all of the rest of it. Uh, and you know, something that I wrote about in the book and that I recently wrote about, uh, online for medium was I stopped giving a fuck about having a bikini body Uh and you know, that's the, you know, the, the sort of two word, um, you know, death knell for women in the summer season where they see on all of the magazines, you know, get your bikini body now, you know, lose 20 pounds and get that bikini body. And I I was writing my book last September, uh, coincidentally at the end of bikini season, at least in, in New York where I was living at the time. And I just said, you know what? Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, this is my body. It's the body I have. I've, I've fought with it for decades. I've tried to change it. I've tried to reshape it. Uh, it has looked much better than it does right now, and it has looked much worse than it does right now. But it's just me. It's the size and shape that I am. And if I put a two-piece bathing suit on it, then it is a bikini body. It is a body wearing a bikini. And I think that that is something, it's been picked up a lot on social media, that particular joke that I make in the book about it. And uh, and then I wrote a really, a much more personal and kind of serious essay about it because it was getting so much attention. Mm-hmm. And it has been incredibly liberating to stand with my feet in the sand and just not care if, you know, there's a little bit of a pudge coming out of my waistband or... You know, if if the back of my straps are like making weird shapes on my back, like I just don't give a fuck. (laughs) And it's it's really like it's magical. It really is. It is life changing magic. So um, I I can't say enough about that particular aspect of my life that I stopped giving a fuck about. Yeah. And I mean, in your essay, you were pretty you were pretty um, honest and raw about like your experience with with uh, with with eating disorders. And, and, um, you know, and I think even that 
that obviously like you've had such a history with that. And I think, um, you know, for so, so many women can, can relate to that. I mean, everyone listening to this podcast is certainly like cheering and and can relate to everything that you're saying here. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you talk about like just giving yourself more time, energy and money. I mean, if we look at all the time, energy and money we waste on like dieting and fitness regimes and thinking about like how many macros am I going to eat at lunch and like all this other bullshit, um, to just be like, I don't give a fuck about having a bikini body or dropping two dress sizes or any of that stuff. Like, oh my God, the amount of time and money and energy you get back is just incredible. And think of what you could spend that time, energy and money on instead. And I mean, this is what, you know, the book really is, although the title is, you know, says, you know, the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck. It's really about giving fewer better fucks and giving them to the right things. And so, you know, I certainly would never advocate uh, deliberately being unhealthy. You know, I've, I've gotten uh, no criticism so far about about that, about being like, oh, well, you're just going to, like, lounge around and eat Doritos and, like, you're, you're probably going to die young because you don't care about your body. <laughs> um, I do care. It's the, the point is that we all have, like, differently shaped bodies and like you just can't there's only so much you can do to it to make it different and like at a certain point you are wasting time energy and money like you know so so spend that money on a flattering bathing suit like you know it's don't spend all of that money on you know a fitness regimen and a personal trainer that's going to get you down two sizes and then you're going to be right back up again when you stop going to the personal trainer like that's you know yeah I, i feel like this is common sense but we all it takes something to click in our minds to really realize it. Yeah. And well, I think you really, I mean, you're, you're basically like a rebel to do that. I mean, it's like, so like counterculture. Like, it's yeah. Like, and oh you shouldn't be rebellious. Like that should be normal. Like, <laughs> this should be the normal train of thought, but it's, it's sadly not. So if I can, if I can, you know, with my book or with any of the writing that I do kind of, you know, help access that little brain synapse in people and have them go, Oh, maybe I should be thinking about it this way instead, then I've done my job. Yeah, I think, I think honestly, what, what your book did so much for me was it it was just like permission. It was like, okay, like, here's this woman who's like advocating for us to, um, you know, give fewer fucks. And yeah, I want to clarify that point as well, just about, you're not saying to like, not give a fuck at all. It's just about like, giving the fucks to the right time, energy and, and, uh, money and things and like family and friends and work and whatever else, like the things you really do care about. Yeah. And I actually, uh, I don't know how this, how this works out in the audio book, but in the, in the printed book, there's a flow chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, should I give a fuck flow chart? And I really, I had a lot of fun kind of laying that out and taking all of the, uh, advice that I was giving throughout the book and and letting you start with a topic and then ask yourself questions in order to get to the point of like, should I give that fuck or should I not give that fuck? And uh, I've heard from so many people that they've made it the wallpaper on their cell phones or on their on their laptops so that they can just like consult it when they're being asked to like go to things and RSVP to things and <laughs> you know, and, uh, and say yes to, you know, various like job deadlines and stuff like that. So, um, so hopefully like I've, I've provided a very simple, easy rubric to help make what appear to be tough decisions. And then once you've done it a few times, you'll be, you'll be like, Oh, well now I'm good to go. That's what I think is so great about it though. Cause I think a lot of self-help books are so, 
uh, like there's so much to it and there's all these things and yours is just like, it's so simple and it's, it's like, oh my God, like it just makes so much sense. And, and the number of examples that you give is so helpful, um, to really like open your mind to all the places where you do give a fuck, like things like the Olympics, <laughs> like the expensive face cream, like just stop giving a fuck about wrinkles. Like it was just, there's, you know, it's, there's the bigger things like the bikini body that took up so much time, energy and money, but then there's like all these little things too. And you bring up so many of them. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that, that those were helpful to you. I mean, I really tried to make the book as widely appealing as I could. I didn't want it to just be me and my own, you know, my own personality and my own fucks that I give and that I don't give. And I talked to a lot of other people. I did a big anonymous survey where I got several hundred responses and I just tried to see it from the point of view of people, you know, whether they're working an hourly retail job or they're working a high powered corporate environment, you know, whether they're, they have a wide circle of friends or whether they are, you know, parents of two 15-year-olds living in the burbs. Like, there's just this, you know, I tried to make it metropolitan and rural and really give a lot of um, a, a lot of ways in for different readers. And it does seem to be working. I mean, one of the things that I talk about a lot is... Um, is not giving a fuck about conference calls yeah. uh, because, you know, I say this in the book and I go into this kind of detailed description of how I dealt with this in my working life before I left corporate, uh, the corporate world. And people are just like, basically I said, I just stopped doing them. Like I stopped agreeing. I stopped allowing myself to be scheduled on a conference call because I think they're always a waste of time. And people said, you know, how did you get away with that? And nothing bad happened and nobody, you know, nobody reprimanded you. And, and I'm like, nope, nobody noticed I just said, I'll catch up with you guys after the call. Like, you can fill me in. And and I did. And they filled me in with the nothing that had occurred. And I had had a whole free hour that I didn't have to be on the phone with 18 other people. And, um, and everything was fine. So, you know, I think that these examples, I try to give these real-life examples and also show you, like, how it worked out for me um, when it is something that occurred in my life. And, uh, and the answer is always, yeah, pretty easy. Wasn't yeah. a problem. <laughs> Yeah, like you even challenge like the dress code, which uh, which I which I think is so great. Like, but I feel I feel like so many people will be like, "Oh my god, I can't do that!" Like, that's so risky. <laughs> yeah, as it turns out, there are a lot of things in life that are more important than whether I am wearing sandals that expose my perfectly nice looking feet to you know my colleagues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I don't obviously I work for myself now and like I my my whole kind of work environment has is really kind of shaped around not giving a fuck for the most part um congratulations it <laughs> took me a real it took me like four years to get here it's probably only recently that I've like actually gotten to the point that I always kind of envisioned for myself but um so many I had so many like memories coming back to me of when I worked in the corporate world when I was reading when I was listening to your book because I was like oh my god like conference calls dress codes like team building events like going out for drinks after work like I was just like ah <laughs> it made me shudder inside <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you know, nothing against any of my former colleagues in the 15 years that I worked, you know, in an office full of other people. But I really I don't want to spend more time with them after I've already spent eight or nine hours with them. Like I want to go home or like see my friends who aren't in that industry or like spend time with my husband or, you know, just sit in the bathtub and read Us Weekly. Uh, I don't I don't want to spend more time 
dealing with work stuff than I have to. (laughs) So, um, you know, and I think people really feel like they're going to, you know, they have to say yes to get ahead. They have to say yes to stay up on office politics. They have to, you know, and I just, I guess I'm proof that you don't have to give a fuck about that stuff and you can still be really successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to tell you some of the things on my personal list. Snapchat. Oh, yeah. Never even, never even got there. Yeah, yeah. Snapchat. Dog hair on my pants. You know, gotta live. Gotta live with the dog. (laughs) Fitness personal best. That was one that came out after, these are all ones that that were like new that came out after after listening to your book. Awesome. (laughs) Internet trolls and viral videos. Viral videos was another one for me. I was like, yeah, no, I'm uh, not going to click that anymore. Really yep. don't give a fuck. <laughs> and that's, you know, if you if you add up all of the minutes of your life, you're getting back by not. I mean, I have I still have not clicked on Chewbacca Lady. Like, I don't. Oh, my God. I, wrote I don't know what that Chewbacca is. Mom. And I'm not going to watch. I wrote down Chewbacca Mom, but I said viral videos instead. But to be more specific, Chewbacca Mom was actually on my list. <laughs> yeah, I, I have really I have avoided that. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, hey, if you like it, brings you joy, all, all for you. But um, yeah, those are just some things, and like that just goes to show that it can be just like little things like that that you can just stop giving a fuck about. So, um, what does your family and friends kind of think? What it like? Did, were they like this? You know, this is so. Did they notice a change in you? Like, what what happened with that? Uh, I think that my family and friends pretty much you know, take me at face value and, and always have. And so they have largely been incredibly supportive and enthusiastic and excited about the book and the methods. And, uh, certainly a number of my friends have, have employed these methods. Uh, I can't tell you how many friends I know who've quit their jobs since I wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fantastic and wonderful. Uh, there really hasn't been any friction. And I, and I think that probably, there are probably some people out there, uh, whether they are related to me or by blood or uh, or by marriage, um, and some some friends who maybe have had some some negative thoughts or some questions, but they haven't voiced them because I think that they know they're dealing with somebody who doesn't give a fuck. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. there's really no point in uh, in having these arguments. Like I have been honest and polite about my my actions and my desires and my needs. And, uh, and I'm not sorry as per the not sorry method. So I don't, I don't think that anybody feels, even if they occasionally question some of my decisions, I don't think they feel like there is an argument to be had. And that's something that I tried to get across in the book was like, if you do this the way I recommend you do it, then I don't think you're going to have flare ups or arguments or even spirited debates. I think people are just going to kind of accept you for who you are. Yeah, and I thought that was one of the most helpful things because, um, you know, phrasing it up and communicating in a way that is honest and polite is is such a huge part of making this work in a way that's not going to, like, actually be detrimental to relationships. Did you have, was that, like, a learning experience for you? I mean, did you have some not giving a fuck's gone wrong? Uh, I, I did. Uh, and you know, I think that was before I realized that I had to, in, instead of being just kind of completely overwhelmed to the point that I did something without really giving it much thought, 
um, you know, saying no to a particular invitation in a way that was not very polite uh, because I was so overwhelmed that I just kind of, you know, spit it out and 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 really didn't think about the other person's feelings. Um, that's where that's where not giving a fuck goes wrong. And so what I have tried to do is explain to people that if you if you talk to people in the language of opinion, as opposed to the language of feelings, you're more likely to get results that are acceptable to everybody. So for example, in, you know, you get invited over to uh, someone's party and you really don't like their boyfriend and, you know, the last two parties that you've been to, he's been, you know, spouting off about politics or, you know, something being offensive and you didn't like it. Um, you just say, you know, I'm so sorry, I can't make it in a timely, honest, polite fashion instead of RSVPing yes, then being anxious about it for two weeks until the day, and then bailing at the last minute and pretending like you're sick when that person has already counted you in their in their booze and their food and they've expected you to come and now you've you've disappointed them in a way that it wouldn't have been as disappointing if you had just said no to begin with. And so I think that's where I made some missteps before I really got my handle on uh, on my not sorry method. Uh-huh. And uh, hopefully it can, you know, reading the book can help other people avoid making the same mistakes that I did. Yeah, I think we, we get so we always say like, maybe or we say yes, and then we cancel it. I mean, I'm so guilty of that. Like, I'm, I'm so guilty of that. And uh, the actually practicing saying no, like right off the bat, there's something like so liberating about it. Yeah, I literally coached a friend the other day, like we were in a Facebook chat and he said, you know, I have this wedding invitation sitting in front of me and I really don't want to go. And I was like, just say no, just say no, just say no. It's all you have to do. And he was like, thank you. I just sent it back in the mail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, but, you know, the fact is like, you don't, you don't say, no, I'm not coming to your party because I hate your boyfriend, you know, and you don't say yes. And then bail at the last minute. You just say a simple, polite, timely, honest, no thanks you know, can't make it. And how do they know why you can't make it? I mean, maybe you can't make it because you're like, I literally cannot Uh face the idea of going to that party, (laughs) you know, or you have something else to do. Sometimes you can just trick yourself, like pretend you have something else to do. Yeah. And, you know, and then it sounds really honest when it's when it's coming out of your mouth. And, you know, there's a sliding scale that I talk about in the book where sometimes you can't be completely honest because that would be rude. Like, I hate your boyfriend. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you because you want to be polite. So you have to you have to respond in such a way that you are you are being both of those things. Um, not so honest that you have, in fact, become impolite. And you, I mean, you also kind of talk about like being, you know, like whether it's you, you know, send them a lovely gift or a thank you note or like something else to not necessarily, I don't want to say like make up for it, but to just show that you still, you know, that you really do value them as a friend and you're appreciative Mm -hmm. of that relationship. It's not like you're just like saying no and there's no kind of um, way to reciprocate like the, just the generosity of that other person. Of course. And also, you know, I talk about how you don't necessarily want the invitations to stop coming altogether. You know, your your goal here is not to lose all of your friends and never be invited anywhere. Your goal is just to not say yes to everything that comes down the pike, you know, because you don't have the time, energy and money to say yes to all of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so it's about just being choosy. So do you find yourself still doing like, uh, you know, kind of like, are you going to do like an annual fuck barn and like get your black marker out and like reassess <laughs> it every year? Like, or how, how are you, how are you applying this to your life going forward? 
I think that I apply it in sort of daily small increments at this point. I don't think I'm going to need to do another purge, uh, you know, and, and people who haven't read the book yet, um, you know, what what I mean is by the, the mental barn is that you kind of sit down and you view your, your, your life as this barn inside your head and you've got, you know, these old like rusty filing cabinets over here that contain all of the fucks that you give about work and you've got these, you know, these moldy photo albums that contain all the fucks you give about family. And you have to really like sit down and 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 list out all of the things being demanded of you. And then after you've gone through the steps of the book, you you take a black marker and you cross out the ones that you no longer give a fuck about. And for me, I think I'm pretty solidly in the mindset now. So I am not going to have another overwhelming purge. Um, and in fact, I think, uh, you know, if if you read the book and you do sort of take the the message to heart, probably it, it will be the same for, for any reader. You know, probably once you get a handle on it day to day, you will just incorporate not giving a fuck into your sort of daily life as an enlightened individual. And, uh, and you'll be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's my approach to it too. Like, but I, I keep coming back to it. It's just, it's, it resonated so much with me and I've read so many self-help books and, um, but it's just, it's, uh, it's so great. Love, like I said, love the examples, love the way you split it out, love the formula of it. So, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's available in every bookstore, right? Is that people can find it? Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those places. Yep. And all of your independent bookstores and you can download the audio book. You can download the ebook from anywhere. And, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. There's a lot of people around the world giving a lot fewer fucks. So, you know, <laughs> we're all winning. Yeah, I mean, and God, like, wouldn't it be a better world if we're all walking around enlightened, you know? It sure would. (laughs) So great. Well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat about it today. Uh, It's been such a pleasure. And um, I, like I said, I've recommended it to so many people. And I really loved the audio version. It comes with the PDFs too. So you still get like the flow chart and everything. Okay. You can print that out and stick it to your wall behind your desk. Yeah, (laughs) I will. I will. Well, um, the last question I always ask all of my guests is what is the most fearless thing that you have done? Uh, definitely the most fearless thing I did was quitting that corporate job. I had been, I had been programmed from a very early age. You know, I was the valedictorian of my high school. I went to an Ivy league university. I was always programmed for ambition and success. And that once I got in on the the bottom rung of that corporate ladder, I wasn't stopping until I got to the top. And, uh, and you know, unhappiness won out over, over ambition, uh, which I think for a lot of people it doesn't do, you know, and, um, and when I made that decision and when I walked into my boss's office, which was almost 365 days ago, exactly. Um, you know, last, uh, last June 10th was my last day at work. And I really think that that is the bravest thing that I've, that I've done. And it worked out really well. So yeah, <laughs> you you wrote that book fast then. Like it I did, just, it all yeah. kind of came pouring out. That's uh, that's incredible, and uh, um, that, that's that's like really amazing. <laughs> you had a lot of you had a lot of uh, fucks to just like get out of you. <laughs> yeah, and apparently I had a lot more time and energy on my hands, and was then able to write a book. So. Seriously. Well, good for you. That's, that's awesome. Um, I think, I think, uh, like uh, you're going to be an inspiration for a lot of people (laughs) and you're going to change lives with this. So, uh, well done. And, um, thank you again so much. 
I will link to your book in the show notes for this, which people can find at summerinandin.com forward slash FRR dash six, six, because this is episode 66. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope that people enjoy the podcast and I will definitely spread it around uh, when it's up and running. And I'm so glad that podcasts weren't on your not giving a fuck list yet. <laughs> I, thought, I thought for sure they would be. I was like, I'm just going to ask and see, but... <laughs> to each his own. I think that whatever is on anybody's list doesn't have to be on mine and we can all just go living our lives. So you know, I'm sure lots of people wish that Taylor Swift wasn't on my list, but such a life. <laughs> Yeah, she's on my list too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, rock on. If you like what you've heard, please head to iTunes to leave me a review. It will take two seconds and I would be super grateful. Click on reviews and ratings and then click to rate. Easy peasy. You can do it on your phone right now, just while you're driving even. Just kidding. And don't forget to head to summerinandin.com or thebodyimagecoach.com to grab your free rule breakers guide to rocking your bod plus the 10 day body confidence makeover plus your exclusive invite to my free online community all for free, 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 free. Cool. All right. Until next time, rock on. (laughs) 